welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. Bam! That. That's me that in 2.4 seconds today. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm C.J. Reynolds, and I run this YouTube channel called Real Rap with Reynolds where I basically get to do whatever I want. That's a really great feeling. But what we're really trying to do is not just whatever we want. Um, it is having the freedom. I love this idea of having the freedom to be able to create things that people want or need, creating space for people to connect. And that is my favorite thing in the world. I've been thinking about this a lot uh, with regards to school lately and like how it's having a conversation with a friend the other night where we were talking about the relationship between um, the crucial element of having relationships in school, right? It's something I always talk about, but marrying that with data is what my old friend Cho would say. Cho is the Cho's the only person I have a picture of in my office, really. Um, this is my old friend Cho. That's basically her expression every single time I did anything in school. But that time I had no sleeves on my shirt and it annoyed her. Um, so Cho is getting her doctorate at Harvard University, and she, every time she comes to dinner, we talk. I'm like, "What are you learning? What are you learning? What are you learning?" She's talking about this, the how you have to bring the data and relationships together. But that as schools, we often don't learn how to use data. We get a lot of data, we collect a lot of data, but even like administrators oftentimes don't know how to use that data. So I've been thinking about that a lot this week, and I've been trying to think about. How do we as educators have power to actually change things? Like, can we actually change things? Or is your, does the fact that maybe your school, for people whose schools are great, this doesn't really apply necessarily, but like, if your school sucks, how do you, what do you do about that? Can you do anything about that? And so that's something I've really been sitting with a lot. Um, and I think that there, I think there are, I think, I'm going to get deeper into this rabbit hole and, and, and uh, not at this moment, but like uh, this is something I'm really kind of researching right now. But some of those things, and I hadn't planned on making this transition, uh, we're going to be talking about next weekend, next Saturday at 11 a.m. We're doing a workshop called the Prioritize the You and Us workshop. It's completely free. Um, you have to sign up for it. Um, I'm still trying to find out what the playback situation is going to be. So can people sign up? I've been asked and then watch it later. I'm assuming that's got to be the case, but they, I haven't gotten any information back from anyone on that yet. So I will note, let everyone know as soon as I can. Um, so I should actually, if Noel pops in here, I'll ask her. Anyway, um, that's the gig. So look, gang, if this is your first time, I really am so thankful that you're here, especially you're here on a three-day weekend. And I just think that that makes, that's, that just sets people apart. First of all, you're here on a Sunday anyway. Then you're here on a on a three day weekend where you don't even have school. Most of you tomorrow, if you're in the U.S., so it's uh, we celebrate. It's the Martin Luther King Jr. Day of Service tomorrow, and so uh, most of us don't even have school till Tuesday. But it's just special. And look, here's here's why that's so important. Because I think that like like Seth Godin says, people like us do things like this. And so right now, I think that. I think that everyone has a temperature. Let me put it this way. This is how Ed, my, Ed my lab breaks it down. Everyone has a temperature. So let's say your temperature uh, is a 75, right? So if I realize you're not really a 75, you'd probably be dead. If you're 75, I don't really know that much about internal temperatures. But like, let's say your temperature is a 75. And you hang out with a bunch of people that are 50 degrees, right? Your temperature, you end up leveling out. You, 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 like you maybe bring them up a little bit, but you're going to come down and it's going to even out. I think that over time, if we are a 70 degree person and you're hanging out with people that are 90, 89 degrees, that is going to innately raise your temperature up. Now, whether or not you stay at a 90 is neither here nor there, but you definitely, most definitely will not go back down to a 70 or a 71, right? It is being mindful of who you're around. And this is one of those experiences that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So when you intentionally surround yourself with people that are trying to do good stuff in the world, like, like everyone here in this comment section, everyone that's viewing this is trying to do, it innately 
it, you are putting yourself in a position where you're going to be uplifted and you're going to uplift others. You are creating the space. You are walking into a space and being mindful of the energy you bring with you. And I just think that that is one, just one of the things that we can do in any given situation that help us to, to share our power, share our purpose, share our meaning in that. So with that, we're going to jump into some questions. Do you have any questions for me? I do. Well, lay it on me, lady. All right. The first one is from on Sophia. She is asking, I start my first ever teaching job on Tuesday. I am shadowing the first two weeks to get comfortable. Anything that you recommend I do while shadowing? Thanks so much. I love tuning in every week. Oh, I like this idea of what was the... I like the idea of shadowing. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of schools. What was the movie, though? Was it Mary Poppins? When like the shadow interacted, what was the movie we watched? It's a Disney movie. I'm pretty sure. Oh, Peter Pan, right? Yeah, or Peter Pan's, you know, uh, Peter Pan, like his shadow interacts with him, right? It's, it's almost mischievous. I love that, that imagery of that. And here's why, because just because you're shadowing someone, I think a lot of times, and I, I know that I've definitely done this, you are silent you are in the back. You are just a fly on the wall. Don't be a fly on the wall. And why do we act like flies on the wall are so friggin' innocent all the time, right? They're always buzzing in your face and trying to touch stuff and land on your sandwich. It's not, they're not <laughs> like, I'm not saying don't buzz in people's faces and touch their sandwiches. But um, I think being shadowing is about asking questions. It's about connection. It's about seeing how you want to do stuff and how you would probably not do stuff. How are people getting the work done that they need to get done? It's about, I think, getting, connecting with kids from the jump, like from your walk, you get like you park in the driveway or the parking lot, you walk into the school and you see people, hey, what's up? How are you? Hey, like a uh, nice jacket, whatever it is. Like you're just already mixing it up because you are trying to be an active participant of what is happening in the workplace. And when we wait to do this until three years in a day, when you have tenure, until you figure out what's going on at the school, I think it's a disservice to everyone around you. You have a, you have the opportunity to just be a blessing to anyone that you cross paths with. So I think that why not take that energy, right, which might feel like nervous energy, but it could also be excited energy to walk into that space and to sprinkle sprinkle your joy all over the place, man. And and so that's that's what I would think. And then ask as many questions as you can. Um, I think just asking questions is a really really uh, it, 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 I think a lot of times people equate that with weakness or stupidity or like, come on, what the hell are you asking that for? But it's really asking for clarity. It's really like, I want to know how y'all are doing this so that I can move into this space and become an active participant in what you were doing. So awesome. Sophia, bet my best, uh, to you in, in these next few weeks and on your journey. It's awesome. Uh, Chris Carson says you look fuzzy. You do kind of look fuzzy on here. I look fuzzy? Yeah, like you're, it's like a blurry, like the camera. Chris Carson, let me get to the bottom of that, buddy. He'd be looking fucking pay all this money for all this stuff. You have a question for me while I'm looking well, for my uh, defuzzer? Uh, yep. John Fox is asking, oh, what's that up there? John Fox is asking, have a final interview with a new school, and I'm excited for oh, it. Oh, bam. But also heartbroken and devastated over the prospect of leaving my current school. Any advice for how to make peace with this? Hmm. So things are a little fuzzy <laughs> for John Fox right now. All right, buddy. So here's the thing. It is just hard. When I left, when I worked in Camden for five years, I thought that was the school I was going to be at for the rest of my life. Um, I loved being there. I loved working with the students that I worked with. Uh, that is the school where... Romina, who wrote the foreword for my book, um, I left the year that she graduated. So we left together. That being said, um, what I've learned in going to a new school and what I've learned in really in working through YouTube and, and getting to speak at different places and different schools and things of that nature is that um, the work we do, I think, is about love. And I think that it's about Sent, really, it's about loving and caring for young people uh, in ways that are really important. And so anywhere you go, you're going to be needed. Anywhere you go, you're going to be loved and, and or you're going to need to love people. And so although I miss 
working. I, I, I miss my students in Camden. I miss the people I worked with in Camden. Um, moving to West Philadelphia, it's like, no, this is where this is where I'm supposed to be now. Like this is where I, what I've been given to do. And I, and I can tell you, John, that there are kids that came up that were even there the first year ever. Um, the, I, and I actually thought of this. The first, I just thought of this yesterday. I was up at my classroom, um, like read or Friday, uh, whatever it was, redoing my classroom, right? And so this guy walks in who is now a teacher at my school, uh, Mr. Diawara. And Diawara walks in and I thought, you're the first kid I ever met Why did you at my school. It that just yesterday. dawned on me because so we were working crazy. on my classroom. And I remember I'd not met a oh. student yet at the school. And it was like after I got a job, like I got to yeah, meet a I handful of kids, day. like when I got interviewed and stuff, but like we were in my room and we were hanging posters and, and doing what I do. And this kid walks in and he goes, uh, Hey, who are you? And I was like, yo, what's up? My name's Mr. Reynolds. And he was like, Oh, I'm Omar Diawara. And I was like, Oh, I said, uh, you go to school here. And he's like, yeah, I'm a senior. And we talked and he was like, this room looks great. And I just, we were talking about that. And now all these years later, he's back and he's a teacher. I mean, he's been a teacher at my school for about three years. It just hit me. But, you know, John, I, there are so many kids that I've interacted with that I'm like, this was, this was where I was supposed to be. This, these are the kids I was supposed to be with. And so right now, although you are moving apart from your school and from your students, I want you to think about it this way. In the grand creation of things. I'm not even trying to get too woo-woo here, right? But somebody was born at the right place and time. And you are moving to the school at the right place and time. And in these coming weeks, years, months, you are going to move closer and closer and closer to a moment with that individual that is like, I think it is, it's a magical serendipity that you and that student, and when that happens, you will know yeah, this was the right move. This is why I'm supposed to be here because the, because th this situation or these group of kids or this moment, something you are supposed to be there for. And I can tell you like from Cephas to ham to cheesesteak to Diawara to like the tons, hundreds of other kids that I've gotten to know in West Philadelphia, it is undoubted to me that is like, nope, this is where I was. I have been slowly my whole life potentially working my way towards that. And, um, Really, I think of that like I think about my wife and I that way a lot of times too. We're like, there is no way logically that we ever should have got together. She was born in the Philippines, right? I was born in New Jersey. And so the fact that we ever got together is just kind of mind blowing to me to begin with. But I think most of life is like that. Go ahead, dude. All right, our next question comes from Myesha. My buddy. She's asking, trying to overwork myself to push the students to turn in assignments before progress report or report card deadlines. Looking for something that will not gray my hair. Oh, all right. So, um, I mean, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know if I'm the guy to ask for that. <laughs> if we're not uh, graying hair. Um, Myesha, I would say, you know, research shows that peer like what you look like to your peers is the number one motivating factor for students, for young people, right? It's either looking good in front of your peers or looking bad in front of your peers. Now I'm not in the shaming kids, but I think there is something to um, putting everybody's name on the board and it's like, all right, who has all their stuff handed in and then crossing it out or for every, I, you know, I've even done this with ninth graders, right? With We're talking 14 year old dudes that I have had names on the wall and put stickers next to it when you hand in your homework or when you hand in your classwork or when you do your do now or when you're on time or whatever it is that we're struggling with. It is public um, celebration for people that have done it. Now, again, I'm not into shaming kids. So I'm not into like putting kids down, but it's like very clear. And you have you have the power, dude. Like, oh, you got the power. Here's the assignments. Here's when they're due. Here's what I need to buy. Um did you get everything in and then crossing names off or putting names up, right? So you're not even just leaving someone's name up there uncrossed off. You are putting names up. Um, or I do like mini celebrations where it's like, yo, everyone that got like that just handed in their homework. If I have like not a lot of kids that hand in homework, 
um i do dumb stuff like i'll make popcorn like bags of popcorn for kids and you're not allowed to share it but it's like yeah or mini cereal parties where i just get the little boxes of cereal doing a great job man i just start throwing all things out there that are going to um acknowledge the hard work and dedication of kids that are doing what they need to be doing and i think that that it works and and the research shows that that is the number one motivator uh, because we don't, as people, want to be shamed, but we want to be celebrated. Now, look, different kids get celebrated different ways. Not everyone wants a megaphone in the hallway with their name on poster board or something like that. Um, some people just need it a little bit more low key. So you have to kind of figure that out for certain students. But um, I say, I always say, go weird, go weird. Think of stuff that's going to celebrate kids. All right, our next question comes from Michael. Um, how do you know if teaching is the right profession for you? I'm currently in university for chemical engineering, but I feel like I want to have a bigger impact on the world. Thanks. Uh, so, Michael, that's a great question. Um, I did not want to initially be a teacher. I never even thought about it. What I think about is, well, what am I, what are you good at, right? I think everybody has like something they're just kind of gifted. And sometimes it takes a minute for you to get that what you are good at is a gift. What Maybe that's, you, you know, organization. Maybe that's um, understanding things. Maybe that's breaking large concepts down and, and putting them in the small ones. Maybe, you know, what, whatever that is, but I think the two things that stood out to me and like, and not even initially, cause I wasn't good at school. Like I didn't even like school when I was a kid. Um, and so I, I went to school every day cause of my friends, I didn't go to school to friggin' learn anything. Um, and I had no idea how that was going to play a part in what I did in the future anyway. So I just wasn't a part of my, my journey. Um, but what I did realize was that I am a teacher by nature. Like I am, all I've always like not always. Uh, I didn't start reading until I was nineteen. But when I started eighteen or nineteen years old, someone gave me my first book, and they I had kind of blown it off. Like I don't read anything. We talk about, and they were like my friend John Fiend, still to this day, like one of the most impactful moments of my life. John looks at me and goes, "That's so dumb. Why would you what? Why would you celebrate not reading? It's so dumb." And I was like, "Oh, oh." So what happened through reading was. I started getting learning so much stuff and being so excited. I couldn't wait to share it with people. I just wanted to tell people what I was reading about. And my friends weren't reading books like I was reading. So like I would just like go except for John Fiend. But like I loved having those conversations. I loved sharing things with people. I loved getting people excited. Um, I've also been someone that is for my whole life been someone that folks just came to for advice, right? Like the, the fact that I have a show like this now is like no, no mystery to me. It's just something that i've i've loved doing i'm not interested in in making people feel dumb or feel silly about asking questions i really just want to pour into people and, and see them uh, I, I just i like sharing that love right and then you know one of the things that really took a long time for me to really figure out is that kids are actually they gravitate towards me right and when i was younger i've talked about this a lot i've talked about it in my book um it was really weird to me like like and still now like it's it's still a little bit weird when it happens where we're at the food store and some little kid talks to me we're at the park and some five-year-old boy that i don't know and i'm playing with my kids comes over and asks if he can play with me um or wants to tell me that he loves dinosaurs or his favorite color is blue or his sister wanted what they wanted for christmas it's like this re it's like in the movie the santa claus when kids just come up to tim allen and just start talking to him that's literally been my whole life and that freaked me out when i was younger it's weird. 19 kids talking in the food store. Mom looks at it. It's like, I didn't, it wasn't me. So anyway, I think it's figuring out what are you good? Like, what do your gifts lend themselves to? That was a large part for me of figuring out it's because I don't know. Look, I, I'll, I'll say this and maybe it's this is a little bit based on some of the things I've been listening to and reading lately. I'm not so sure we find our passion in life. Right. And I know this is a big thing. It's it's like going out, finding your passion um or, or following your passion i think we bring our passion to the things that we do and so every job i've ever had i figured out a way to have fun at except for working at taco bell that just sucked but like pumping gas working at home depot stocking shelves digging holes literally had a job digging holes in the summer it's finding bringing passion to the things that you do so 
Um, so that that's some of what is kind of just going through my mind. And then as soon as I started doing teaching classes and, and getting into that world, I just knew immediately. So I'd say, look, I mean, long story short here or short story long, um, it is uh, maybe find some opportunities to get around kids, to think about like what was the grade that you needed yourself in, going and volunteering in a school as part of a after school program, um, tutoring kids, like reach out to local schools, see if there's anything around you that like can get you into that space and then see what that feels like when you walk into it. Cause I think that that's a, really a determining factor is how you feel when you're doing it. Our next question comes from Piano answer. Boy. My um, man. says, Reynolds, how are you? What are some of your highlights from 2021 and what do you hope to accomplish in the classroom in 2020? Oh, that's a great question, Ooh. man. My buddy, Piano Boy. Um, I would say highlights from 2021. I'm just thinking of the message you sent me of all your highlights. Or maybe it was a phone call we did of all your highlights and I appreciated that so much. Um you know, 2021 was all like all last year was all virtual and that was really difficult. Um, I think if there's anything I'm happy about what I did is I didn't stick to the script. I didn't stick to what the school told me to do. I made class the way I thought it should be for my students. So we had 80 minute periods. I taught 40 minutes every day. And if you were done in 40 minutes, you could leave. And if you needed more time, um, that was built in. We made class as fun as we possibly could. I got all these like weird props and stuff like that and like sound effects and um, changing locations and just like trying to find things to help kids engage, be fill them with a little bit of wonder, a little bit of silliness. Like we mailed cereal boxes to kids that like did a good job, like either big cereal boxes or little ones, just pop a stamp on it and send it in the mail to kids. Um, it was trying to reinvent what we were doing, and then really trying to help the people around me to find success too, because teachers were just like burning out like crazy at school and they, they continue to. So I think that's one of the things I really loved. I also poured into myself a lot in the last year. I got a lot of massages. I talked to a lot of good people. I put myself in spaces and places that were like filling and healing for me. Um, which didn't always look like it because I was, I really went through a lot of stuff in 2021, but I think that was some of it. 2022, bro, I just changed my whole, even the direction of my classroom. Like classroom used to face this way. It now faces this way. Um, and I have been thinking about like, like what are things I just always wanted to do? Like, and how can I pull those off? Um, I'm at a place at school where things are really, they're really, really difficult right now. Um, what if I, you know, Tom Bilyeu has this game that he says he plays with his staff uh, on, he has a podcast called Impact Theory uh, and the game is called No Bullshit, What Would It Take? So if I play that game with myself, no BS, what would it take? to be successful, to have kids be successful? Like, what if this was easy is another question, right? That's a, that's a Tim Ferriss question. What if this was easy? Um, and then trying to figure out what if this was easy. And so then the other thing for this year is my theme for the year as a couple, as a family is joy. How am I infusing more joy into my life every single day? And I have ways that I'm working on that. Um, and that's maybe like a whole nother video or a whole nother question. But like, I'm really like, how, because, because your students don't, you don't live off the overflow of love you give to your students. Your students live off the overflow of love you have for yourself, right? Just think about that for a second. The more you pour into yourself, the better you walk into school, right? If you're walking into school and it's like, you know, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack's playing behind you and it's like slow motion, like it's you're on fire no one can touch you right you're just crushing everything but if you go into school feeling like crap um you could have a lesson plan it's the greatest lesson plan in the world you could have the greatest song in the world and have the worst person sing it it's just not it's not the same right so but you could have the greatest singer in the world and have them sing anything and bang game on all right our next question comes go for from it from Catherine metcalf let's do it this is a good one uh, what does a strong uh, admin look like to you, CJ? Oh, this is a great We've question. Been having a lot of conversations. Best administration I ever had in my life. 
Don't even base it on who you've had. I'm what's your best, like, what does an admin look like to you? That's you can use your, I know what you're going to say, but so you can use that as an example, but go further. That's what I want to hear. All right. You got (laughs) it. I think the best administration you could think of a strong administration is an administration that one cares deeply about working with their staff, not having their staff work for them. I think a strong administration looks like teachers are supported. They're treated like professionals in every way, shape, and form. So people that like tell me online that they can't go out, they can't leave campus. They're not allowed to go out for a cup of coffee. Why? People that have to Um, you feel bad when you call out instead of supported when you call out that if you ask for help in your classroom with a particular student and you're made to feel bad, like you just sent your authority out or something like that. It is folks that ride or die that have your back, no matter what that is strong administration. It is trusting your teachers, giving them the autonomy to, to figure out what do their students need or your grade levels to figure out what those students need. And then going after that, Um, And then giving teachers so much room to fail that it's almost scary. But what we're doing in reality is not just screwing up. We're figuring out how to best teach kids. And we're showing kids, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm going to just try stuff. And we're going to try it until we find the right thing that's the right fit for you until we can dial it in and then it's game on. I think it's um, not micromanaging people. I think it's creating professional development experiences that actually develop professionals uh, and not just meet some sort of standard or, or something you can just check off of a list. I think it's really uh, setting up things like observations and, and, and uh, things of that nature that are helping teachers to be the teachers they are called to be, right? It is like it's creating opportunity for teachers to be the best it's letting sending teachers to conferences like getting them excited to go learn more to bring it back and then like build this community and i think overall a good leader another my last thing i I, you know off the top of my head is like creating a work environment that people want to show up to it is there's john maxwell has this idea of the law of the lid meaning if i own a business right so my business that i own can only be as good as i am It can never, no, I could have, you know, all the people that work with us, all the people on our team could be the greatest at what they do. So Jake, the guy that's making my podcast after this thing comes out, could be the most creative, brilliant, amazing dude ever. But if I am in kind of like, I'm overseeing all this stuff, if Jake can't go any higher than I can, like he can't get any bigger than my vision. And, And so it is about working together and, and doing a better job uh, as a leader so that you are creating a space where folks can just go above and beyond, that they can just they can teach their class off. And I think that that is some of the signs of a good leader. And, and I think that good leaders are good administration are. Um, so, look, Le- John Maxwell would also say leadership is everyone's leader. Right. Leadership is just influence. And so how are you influencing your people in the best way possible? How are you creating a school that people want to work at, right? There shouldn't be a loss of of teachers. There shouldn't be a heavy loss of teachers at the end of every year because people want to stay there. They want to work with this person. They're the greatest person in the world to where you always feel seen and heard and cared for and supported. And even though you screwed up and like, you know, did something that some lesson that ended up disastrous, like it's great great job, man. That's awesome that you even thought of that and tried to do it. And like, let's figure out like another way for you to do this is awesome. Uh, I think that those are marks of, of good school administration. Agreed. Okay. Our next question is coming from Sarah Lee. She says, I've been a special education um, para educator for three years. I just got hired as a full-time permanent substitute at a charter school. Any advice for a new sub? I'm more anxious about failing the teachers? Uh, So, Sarah, I think the reason, look, Tony Robbins would say that it's not about doing things without fear. It's doing things despite a fear, right? It's figuring out ways to dance with the fear. And so it's not like, um, I think 
one of the things that that's teachers fall short is because they are afraid of what they're going to look like to other people. When if you show up and your mindset is how can I be of service? How can I show up and care for others? How can I, how can my, you know, Miss Lee working in this building, how does this make people's lives better? Right? What can I take off your plate? How can I add to your day? How can I come in and feel joyful? How can I come in and want to be a contributing member of what you all are already doing? How can I honor the work that you're doing? How can I listen and take notes and, um, and learn from you and do the best that I can for these kids? How can I make parents excited that I'm here? And one of the ways you do, like, those are really simple ways, simple things to do. How do I let parents know that I care? I tell them that I care. Listen, I want you to know before we even have this conversation that uh, I'm really excited to be here that I really only ever want your kid to succeed is the only, I don't care about being right. I don't care about being anything. I just, I just want your kid to win bottom line. What do we need to be able to do that? And then asking, I mean, I've said this in other videos and in my book, asking things like, um, what do I need to know about your student? Like, what does the IEP, the 504, the, the, the grade book not tell me that I, I should know about your kid to teach them, right? So it's like those little shifts. Now that parent's already stoked that you're the kid's teacher. How do you show up and and like see that someone needs some care, some love, some attention? And so I think that it's showing up and being able to do things like that um, that make you a great addition to a school. You are entering into a not just a school, but a community of people that are mission, hopefully are all mostly missional-minded and they're doing good work um, for young people. How do you add to what they're doing? I think that that's, that's how we do it. I think, or that's the advice that I would give you is like be, you know, um, you can't fail people that you're serving. You're just, you're just there loving. And sometimes we love better and sometimes we do a better job than others. But, you know, the, the, I, the numbers would say that like, look, about half the time you're going to screw up. Like, you know, so it's like, just lean into that and just like, Oh, did it again. All right. Like hopefully next time it's better. And like, how can I learn from that? And then how can I laugh that off? And how even your failures, are you showing students that look, I just try stuff. This is what I do. I try stuff and I fail all the time. It's all right. I'm not trying to be perfect. Um, and that that's, that's where I would start. All right. Our next question comes from Miss Gonzalez. It's a two-parter. Um, she says, Considering starting a YouTube channel with my kids, still figuring it out, would it be better to have one that is theirs or one that is more mine where they are in it? Not sure if that makes sense. Any advice or suggestions? You can tell me don't do it too. If you think it's too much, I just want a way for them to be heard on a different platform. There are a hundred reasons for everybody to do a YouTube channel or a blog or a podcast or whatever. Um, some of those are this. Look, I, I, I think yes, you should do it. Um, I think it's a lot more work than people think. Like the fact that we've been on YouTube for five years. Sometimes I'm like, dude, like, and all the videos we have. Our kids are so little when we started. I can't even believe. Like that's what always it's crazy blows my mind. Is like, look at how little our kids were when we started YouTube. Yeah. Uh, something I heard a stat the other day, it was like 95% of businesses fail in the first 15 years, uh, which is a really long time, 15 years. 10 more to go to be successful. That's all we got. Oh, but look at how many YouTube channels existed when we started that no longer are around or have really no, died out. I feel like when we first started, there was about 10, if that many. 10 teacher channels. Teacher yeah. Channels. It was and a small handful, right? And some of those OGs aren't even around anymore, right? Or, or if, you know. Yeah, moved on. Yeah. So I, I think um, here it, it's to me the why behind your doing it. Like, and so you said, like, I just want them to have a way to be heard on a different platform. I think you're doing a couple things with that. You are helping students to practice having a voice, ha having a sense that they are, that they, what they have to say matters. Um, no matter what that is, it's it it matter. You matter, so what you say matters, and we need to practice that because we want you to walk through the world with confidence and with a self assurance that like you can add to the conversation. I think that having a YouTube channel um, 
is also a good reminder that it's not just you and your friends in your neighborhood. It is the world. Like whenever I get emails, DMs, messages from people all over the world, that blows my mind. Like every single time it's like, oh, I'm here from England or from South Korea or Germany or Dubai. It's just like, what? I've never even been to Dubai. Like my YouTube channel has been. That is, you know, you don't know where your influence is going with that. Um, and I think the other thing is, really, to be honest, one of my favorite things is my students, like the guys that have been in a lot of videos, right? Like Cheesesteak, Cephas, DJ Dirty Kev, Hugs. Um, all pre-COVID. Yeah. All those kids. But like, even now, like McCants has been, I, I have videos I haven't even put up yet, but like yeah. McCants has been in there. Uh, Jeff, they, it's, one of the things that they love is, they tell me that when they go away to college, they're like, yo, sometimes I just miss Philly. So I just put on your YouTube channel and see what you're up to. Or I watched the video with me um, when we were all like life was more, it was simple or they look back. It's like, it's like making family videos for people that they can look back on years and years later. Like cheesesteak has been in videos for, he was in videos for five years. I know. And that was because it took him a long time to get out of high school. But he <laughs> made five years worth of videos, man, that exist online. And even if you just do it for that, I'd say one of our favorite things is every once in a while as a family, we'll go back and watch some of the old, like when we were a family channel before I became a teaching channel. And only that that was a handful of videos. But like, it's the best. Any views are from us probably because our oh, kids yeah. are like, Dad, let's watch the old one where yeah. we did this or that or yeah, whatever. Yeah, we were at the beach or we went to the swimming pool or we were in Disney. They're just so fun to go back and see. You will never regret me. So even if you don't go for 10 years, you don't turn into a business and stuff, it's just a great thing to mark the time. It really is. It's I a like gift, it I that. think, to students because they get to look back. It's the same reason I do the, the letter to yourself on the first day of school. It's like, it is this gift of being able to look back to mark your growth, to see just how good things have, have gotten for you or how much you've grown or changed in the best ways possible. Yeah. All right, our next question comes from Monica. I am a grad student and I am still in my student teaching, but I have just been offered a job, but they want me to start mid-year in February while I'm still finishing my program. Any advice? So, Monica, I would say- Not a surprise they want me to throw you in ASAP. Yeah. So. I'm always curious why a job exists mid-year. What happens? Sometimes somebody just had a baby and they were like, you know what? I don't want I don't want to teach anymore. Sometimes, you know, someone retired, something happened, whatever. But it's like we I have a I have a teacher that came in uh maybe a month ago to our school mid-year and uh or sort of mid-year. And she didn't know that there had been four other English teachers before her. She was the fifth. I think she was the fifth. Maybe there was three others. She was the fourth or fifth teacher to enter in. And she didn't know that. She walks into this class and the kids aren't bad. Like I know all they're great dudes, but they've had four teachers. They have. There's no expectation that you are going to stick around. So we're going to do whatever the hell we want. And it's been such an unhinged experience so far that's just like bro we're not even paying attention to you and she was so stressed out this poor woman and it was like yeah that's because they had four like three or four teachers before you i'm not trying to scare you i'm just saying that like you could get that under control you could still have a great year and all that stuff it's being it's a level of curiosity of like how many people have been here what has happened before i got here why did someone leave in in january or in february it's a little still suspect. So that's worth it. I will also say that in my experience, um, I'm so thankful that for my first year of teaching, I was newly married, but I didn't have any kids and I could just work. And I remember people saying um, that like, oh, don't, you, you're going to work yourself to death. You can't go, don't spend that many hours at school. The thing is, I really loved it. Even when we were up there the other day, right? Like you were like, my wife had to tell me it was it was date night on Friday. Um, so we were up at school and I'm just like talking to people that are coming in the room. I'm working on stuff. Like I'm like close to five o'clock. I'm like, yeah. who's still on date night? Like, <laughs> yeah, we got to cut it. I could have stayed there till midnight easily, easily. 
and and enjoyed every moment of it because I just love doing certain things. And so it is when we are when you're thinking about finishing a master's program and then also teaching your first year mid year, that's just a lot to take on. I am going to take a leap and say that there will be plenty of positions available in the fall. Should you teach this? Should you like choose to start teaching then? Um, so look, I'm not making your decision for you. I'm just kind of giving you some things to chew on. But like, I think that showing up uh, next year and being fully ready, not working on your masters at the same time, like that's that's a lot of heavy lifting to do. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it's for you to think about like, is this an added stress that I want to have? I know, but I can sense, I, I like, I just get the feeling of like, oh, but you could just jump in now. Oh, you, I'm so excited to start teaching. I just want to get into it. So go, why don't I just start now? And it's like, because if you're not ready for the marathon, go run the 5k first, right? Like don't, if you just jump right into the marathon, you don't really run. It's just like, you're just, you will last not very long and you could finish it, but you might also you know, yeah, fall fate on. first on the on the finish line. So just some things to think about. Okay, our next question comes from Bowtie Teacher. Nice. Uh, asking, how do you know when it is time to leave your current school? <sighs> is there such a thing as outgrowing a school? I love my students, but I don't feel as though I'm growing at my current school. Gosh, you are speaking my whole language right now. Hmm. Um, I think, look, I think, yes. Uh, when I taught at Camden, I got away with everything. I got I could do anything I wanted. I came and went as I pleased for the most part. I changed my room into the craziest places. I created experiences for my students to an extent. I mean, there was a lot, like it was a lot of like, I had to sneak a lot of time. I talk about this in the book too, like where I would take the, like, these super secret class trips because they wouldn't approve anything. So I'd just be like, yo, look, if you guys show up at this place at this time, that's when I'm going to be there. I didn't really take you anywhere. We just happened to like, ooh, hey, you're at this art exhibition also or this musical performance or whatever. Um, the school that I'm at now on the front end was was that times 10. I mean, I was really I was I was given the code and the keys to the building. I'd stay at school till four o'clock in the morning doing stuff sometimes. Um, I would. Going on Saturdays, I painted my room every different color I could do. I could put hundreds and hundreds of holes in my wall by hanging stuff up. Like, really, like paid trips to go out with like um, graffiti artists and stuff. And we're not a rich school by any stretch, but like it was, you want to try something? You think it's going to help kids? Go do it. And now we're at a place where I'm not sure that that is not the focus. The focus is on a lot of other things. And, um, and so I'm, I'm actually t playing with this idea now of like, is there somewhere better for me? I'll say this. I think it, this goes two different ways, right? This is the food for thought here. I have been with my wife since I was 18 years old. I'm 45 since I was 18 years old, 1995, May of 1995, I met my wife for the first time and we have been inseparable ever since, right? There are a lot of times where we thought, do we still want to do this? I even gave my wife up for Lent one time. That's a whole nother story. For 40 days, 40 nights, I gave my wife up for Lent. Um, before we were married. We were married. <laughs> yeah, not when we were married. That would be even freaking weirder. But like, it's still weird, but I did it. Um, I see the value now in sticking together and through anything. Like there is definitely, there is a strength to our bond now that it's like, when like I hear that, like, like it was just like the idea of like cheating on someone or leaving or getting divorced. It's just like, it's not even a thought anymore. Right. However, um, I've thought that about a lot of things in my life. Right. And so uh, I'm a real loyalist at heart. I'm a ride or die for everything my whole life. And I've had experiences in the past couple of years we're like the neighborhood I live in, we moved with 50 friends, right? 50 other people start, came to our neighborhood to live with us in community. We are one of two families that are left um, because not everything is meant forever. Uh, that, you know, the church that I was a part of for 20 years, ride or die, like did like it was my third full-time job. Um, I just got to a place where I was like, I feel like I've, I've hit the ceiling here. I need to see what's, I need to be, 
because sometimes I think this, sometimes we need to be settlers and sometimes we need to be pioneers. And in some of these spaces and places, I know that I need to move on to optimize, to get to the next level, because what we're doing, what we're about in this business is that we are about kids. And so when we're about kids, we need to go to places that we can serve kids to the best of our abilities, be a part of communities to the best of our ability, show up as our fullest selves. And sometimes you can't do that in every school that you work in. So you need to be mindful that like, love is love, bro. Like I'm going and sharing love and being of service wherever I show up. Um, and so I think that my short answer is yes, but my long answer is what I just talked about for the last seven minutes or whatever. <laughs> Best of luck to you though, buddy. That, I know that's a hard, hard feeling to think about. All right, our next question comes from Caro over on Facebook asking what? I say that all the time. It's Caro, I think Caroline is just- Oh, Caroline. Is, ah, is the name. I didn't even notice. Sometimes yeah. I don't look at last names because I don't, I don't ever know if I should say a person's full name, right? I mean, it's, it's on like, the internet. It's not I like- mean, I guess, yeah, it's not a secret. <laughs> if you were like Caroline from 518 Maple yeah. Avenue, uh, <laughs> you know, Audubon, weird. New Jersey. It's like- uh, But I get it now. Okay, anyway, she's asking, or they are asking, how do you handle other teachers coming into class and saying something discipline related to the kids when according to me, nothing was wrong at all? Also, how to handle other teachers telling me how the- how the shamed a child were too strict with a child about having their hat on, et cetera. And I want to disagree with, but need to protect myself too. I have just started at a new school. Ooh. All right. So that last line is, is a little bit of a game changer, but not so much. I, I recently had, look, there's, look I, I handle this different on different days, right? Like when I'm feeling good and I have patience, I handle it different. Some days I don't have patience. And I recently had, um, it was myself and my co-teacher, Miss C, were in class. Kids were engaged in something in the hallway. The students came into my class and a moment later, a teacher and a security guard came bursting through my room. Now, mind you, it is quiet. Everyone is doing what they're supposed to. We got chill music on, the lights are set right, smells right in the classroom, everyone's on point. They burst into my classroom and start yelling at this kid. And then see, I'm working with somebody. C's trying to be like, what is going on? They got loud with her. I literally went over and this is, I don't, I don't, I don't suggest putting hands on anyone. I didn't push anyone aggressively, but it's kind of like put my hands on their shoulders. I was like, oh, this is a great conversation. Take this, take, take this area down the hallway. And then I closed the door on them and I locked it. And I'm like, I'm, cause I'm not. You're coming into my space like I'm trying to create a safe space for students. And if you come in and you're just going to start yelling, if you come and talk to me and say, can I speak to you for a moment? This is what just happened in the hallway. Sure. Or just call that student out. Hey, can I see this student real quick? Yes. Don't come in and start blowing the place up, though. Right. That's not the move ever, 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 ever. Um, you need to, to, to collect yourself even before you come in the room and handle that. So I think it's. I think, look, I don't know who said this to me, but uh, I think it's true. People treat us the way we teach them to treat us. So when someone comes at you or says something or does something a certain way, you get to let them know. You get to draw the boundary. You get to put them on notice and let them know, hey, look, I don't do that. Or I don't speak that way. Or please don't do that again. In the future, if there's a problem and you have a, a, something happens with a student, Please just pull me in the hallway real quick because I want to be because this is what I'm trying to create in my classroom. Now, look, that's open for conversation, too. Right. Like you can set boundaries, but I also am like enter into things with curiosity and let, and also knowing like, look, people have bad days. I don't know what happened to that woman. Maybe someone spit in her hair. I have no idea. But she came into my classroom and it was all aggressive and crazy and, and mad. I'm just letting you know. Let's lessen that. But I still want to work with you. I still want to help that kid. Like if something happened, we're going to handle it. So I think that's something. I think with regards to being too strict or what I get a lot of times is I'm not strict enough. People don't know how I roll though, right? So what I'm what I'm doing looks like, it's the same way that like uh, I never hit my kids. My kids have never been grounded before. I don't even think we've ever taken anything away from our kids to- Maybe when they were like at the step uh, like age. Two, like, yeah. yeah. And when they had to sit on the step and time out or something, but like, um, but don't, don't, don't mistake in my kindness for weakness. That's hard work, 
right? Like the reason I have my own children now that are that act so well and, and are so well behaved and so kind and courteous and loving towards others is hard work. And that work is the same work we're doing in our classrooms. So I don't yell a lot, but I, man, I have long conversations at nauseum with kids, right? I don't call your mom because I'm handling stuff in the class. Like I just don't do things the typical way. So I'd say to folks that come in and try and give me crap for the way that I'm handling things, it's asking a lot of questions, getting them down to like, what's the core? What are you trying to get at? Is what you're trying to do because you want to be right or you want to be respected or you want whatever? I think respect is a byproduct of, of the way you treat other people. And so it's to me, it's like having those conversations, being curious, and then letting people know where you're coming from, and then maybe having that conversation. But hopefully you get to a place where there's a commonality in what you're doing. Like they're raising their voice, they're shouting, they're strict, they're being no nonsense with kids, but you're doing that, but in a completely different way. I just think that there's different paths that get to the same destination. And when we find that that's what we're really doing, that what we're really doing is about kids, then I think that that is um, a moment where we can understand one another and then figure out best practices going forward. Our next question uh, is from Sharon. As a special ed paraeducator, how can you build relationships with regular ed students when the only time you see them is at recess? Oh, Sharon. This is a great question. Um, I think it is, I don't know where I heard this. I hear a lot of information. I'm sharing, I often share things that I don't remember. I can't, constantly digesting yeah, I can't cite my, my resources all the time. I'm just letting you know that this is not my idea. People in general gravitate towards that which they are the most familiar. You know that every night, or I know, like I'll, I'll use myself as an example. When we watch TV every night, I sit in the same spot. When we sometimes uh, on Wednesdays, we uh, so we usually watch TV as a family or movie as a family. That's a whole nother conversation, but we do it while we eat dinner. And there's a whole rationale behind this anyway. Um, that if Brody sits in my seat, bro, what you doing? Why are you sitting in my seat right now? It's my spot. Like you doing or the dog sit in my chair. My wife will literally if the dog is sitting in her spot on the couch, she literally goes over and she's like, what do you think you're doing? It's my spot. And the dog just looks up at you like. And he moves over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that if you are hanging with family, if you're watching TV, you go to the same channels. If you go out to a bar, you go to the same bar. If you go shopping for clothes, you usually go to the same places, right? We gravitate towards that, which we are the most familiar. So what do you do in school? And how does this relate to you? You become the most familiar person. And then kids will naturally gravitate towards you. So if kids are at recess, are you having fun? Are you being a spectacle? Are you are you a wallflower? Are you engaging with kids? Are you um, actively and finding a, a fun way to to do something fun or silly or awesome with them? Are you in the hallways in the middle of class when you know at the end of the day when kids are leaving school? Where are you? What are you doing? Are you saying goodbye? Are you giving high fives? Are you telling them to have a great weekend? Are you blowing bubbles? Are you um, sprinkling confetti on people because it's their birthday? Like what are you doing that is making you stand out to some degree, but you're standing out not to just be awesome or to have everyone look at you and be like, oh, you're the best. You're doing it because you are trying to become someone that the kids recognize, that they become familiar with. And then I'm telling you, the kids will just show up. You are creating the space. You are you know, making this an event anywhere I go is an event. That's what that's what the mindset is. Anywhere I go is an event. So of course, kids are gravitating towards me. This is what I do. I think that's the way that you do it. And then, you know, like, uh, like the song says, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. And when kids start gravitating towards you and going towards you and seeing what you're doing, it's my same problem that I've had it at all the playgrounds I ever went to with my own children is me and my kids start playing slowly but surely other kids come over and go hey can we have fun with you also can we play tag too my name's tom and i'm like hey hey tom i'm a grown-ass man cj and then you know more and more and more and more kids and then you look like the pied piper and it's weird but look nothing tracks a crowd like a crowd our next question is coming from mallory garrett um i'm not not teaching related but i had a friend who is currently pregnant lose her 
father to COVID. Oh. CJ, you talked about how people disappeared once your mom's funeral passed. What are um, things that I can do for her post her funeral time? You know, there is, I'm going to forget his name. There was a guy, and if I can think of it, if I can think of the name of this, I'm going to actually pin it as um, a comment under this video. I'm going to go look for it as soon as I'm done. There's this guy that used to read who uh, was Irish dude that wrote parables. And he once told this parable, and I believe it's been years, but like uh, it always stuck with me to some extent, where this there was a blacksmith in town whose wife and child died. And now they were just alone. And so this guy from the neighborhood would go over to this man's house and every night they would light a fire and they would just sit there and drink whiskey together. And they talked sometimes, sometimes they cried, but mostly they just sat there. And that, that's basically the gist of this. And the story goes somewhere else, but like that part of the story of like, when someone passes in your life, nobody knows what to do about it, right? Like most people, especially if you've never lost someone before, you're not sure if they want to talk about it, if they don't want to talk about it, if they want to laugh, if they want to cry, if they want to watch a movie, do they want to be around other people? So we watch people who are withdrawn, depressed and sad. And we think, oh, they just need time by themselves. And that's not always what people need. I think that one, it comes down to asking people maybe what just flat out asking people, what can I do for you? Um, and seeing if they say anything, but that's the only I part. That I don't think people often, I never say that to people anymore because people always say, oh, nothing. Cause they never want to be a bother to people. Yep. So I think it's about really paying attention to see in what ways can you do simple kind acts to the person. And I think they speak volume to, cause that's, you can only ask so many times, like, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? And like, right. When you're feeling depressed or upset or about yeah. a loss, like you don't want to constantly say that it's just like no there it's continual shit you just yeah. continually feel crappy um and i'm speak from experience i'm still dealing with like the loss of my brother and my father i think it's about just kind reminders like just kindness for them yeah is showing that you haven't forgotten them i i think there's something i don't think it's about asking people how they feel but Sometimes it's about the ask, right? It's not about them telling you what they need, but then you're right. I think it is. I would never tell somebody what I needed if they asked me. I just wouldn't like, because oh. I don't want to bother somebody. Yeah. But that's where that comes from. I think you're right. I think I would probably do the same thing. Um, I think the other part though, is just finding people to be with and knowing that you're not going to wear them down, right? It is a long, arduous task to get over the loss of someone. And when you feel like, you're with some, like if a friend comes over and you feel like you have to put on a happy face and be this and give them the whole regular experience that you had post or pre-death, it, that is, it's still, it's so taxing that you're just like, I don't even want them to come over. But when you have friends that come over that like when Cho came over the other night, like we clean the house up before she comes over, but I don't have to deep clean. I'm not, I don't have to like put my clothes on and like change. I had dirty I sweatpants so much and i was such having such a terrible day that day of just like depression yeah that like i'm like my floor was filthy it had marley had glue and craft stuff like little you know all the hot glue like little pieces that are yeah everywhere everywhere and i was just like i don't even want to vacuum because i don't think joe would care you know how i knew we were really great friends with Cho <laughs> when she started coming over with no eyebrows on mm, yeah without right. makeup on. when she was makeupless <laughs> Joe, i'm like oh you just you just fit in like we're, we're just linked on a next level right now. Um, I think that that's part. That's the person you want to be to just be around I'm just here. Just Karen. I'm going to make you some food. I'm going to bring something over. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to love you. I'm going to you want to watch a movie. Let's go see a movie or let's sit around together. Or and if someone says no, OK, not taking offense and not not going over again. But I think it's being that person for the long run that it takes a long time. You don't have to be the be all end all, right? Like this should be a shared expression of, of love amongst friends and family. But like, um, it is just, it is, what what is, I think uh, Mother Teresa says, it is simple acts done with great kindness or great love, right? That's, that's what we're doing. We're not doing like, you're not throwing a party for them, but it's like, 
can I just bring over a bottle of wine? Can I drop you off some food? Um, and don't, and sometimes not even ask, like just brought this over, just sent you a card because I'm thinking about you and loving you and we just want you to know. That's it. And and so I think that that's, that's the move right there. You got one more? Um, yes. Let's do it. Shanzi <laughs> is asking, I have my first student teacher this year. What are some tips or ideas you have that might be helpful? You're amazing. And thank you for everything you do. And the not to secret wife. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, so you have a student teacher. Um, I'd say my student teaching experience was better than anyone I've ever actually met. Um, so it was so extraordinary. I worked with a man that I did my practicum with. He actually like, in, so after that, uh, through series of events, he ended up contacting my college and asking if I could do my student teaching there. Um, we met, school didn't start till September. We met in like July and he took me out to dinner and was like, look, I'm going to give you the greatest uh, student teaching experience you've ever had, anyone could ever hope for. And the way that that happened was that he trusted me with stuff. He allowed me to fail. He gave me so much feedback. I still have the notes that he gave me. Um, and I was involved in everything that he did. So like, I mean, I didn't get to school as early as him, but he came, school started at eight. He got there at five o'clock every morning. Um, I came in around seven every morning. Um, he put me in charge of writing things on the board, of grading stuff, of being a part of parent-teacher conferences. When we did the drama stuff at the school for the plays, like he was in charge of the sets and all that. I would go in on Saturdays and help build the sets and get to know the students, help run SATs, help collect money for stuff. Like I was just such um, an immersive experience. By my second week as a student teacher, I was teaching two classes already. Now with his help, but I was already in the game in the thick of it by my third week I was teaching all of his classes and he was just observing me every day and then by the time I finished student teaching um I, this is probably illegal but he would leave the room um now I don't know if he was standing in the hallway if he went somewhere else if but he would wanted me to get the feeling of what it is like to be left alone with students in a classroom and I can tell you that um it was the most immersive experience and and most amazing experience I could have ever, ever hoped for. And so I, I just think that like, what are some things that you could do? Cause remember, like I, I say this all the time, but like your ordinary, somebody else is extraordinary. The stuff that the mundane tasks that you have to do as a teacher, when someone's new, that stuff's like, you want to grade stuff. You want to put stickers on and, and write the grade and put all the correction notes and stuff like that. So it's yes, best practices, but it's allowing those people to be in it that this is what they've been dreaming about forever. Um, and now they're actually like this close to being able to do it. It's like, no, we're going to, despite COVID, despite masks, despite virtual learning, like we're just going to try and have the greatest experience possible. And then handing over the keys to them to try stuff. And I was allowed to, he saw me fall on my face, like, with failure Ooh, before. I think the favorite story is the one that you were unprepared because you yep. went out to a concert. I went to a concert the night before. What, what a, I you just, were overly confident on that I one. was, I felt <laughs> myself a little bit too much. And then I went in and he was like, yep, you got punched in the face today, didn't you? And I was like, yep, he goes, he goes, I'm not even gonna say anything about it. He goes, cause you'll never do that again. Well, yeah, I said, I did. swear to God, I'll never do that again. And he was like, all right, let's move on to the next thing. And like, didn't shame me about it. He was like, nope, I saw you got punched in the face. Like you failed. Like well, I think it's having, knowing that like you're an adult and you know how to like, you know, when you make an error and how to pivot from yeah. that and make, yeah. make a change. And just no, but he knew like mm -hmm. he, he was there. He was like, oh, you screwed up royally today. And I, I was remember like, when you called me that day, I, I was, was like, so, oh my gosh. so then you know what he did? I remember I had off first period <laughs> taught second. That <laughs> class was great. My third period was the one that went awry. We had lunch after that, and he goes, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go um, – we would always go out to his car. He's always smoking cigarettes. We're going to go out to my car. We're going to rework the plan. We're going to help you figure out something to pivot for the rest of the day, and it was the best. So it wasn't just like I didn't get mm -hmm. shamed. It was like, all right, learn your lesson. Now let's let's re, let's re refigure the plan and then go back and execute. Yeah. And the rest of the day was much, much better. Um, but, man, yeah, I was – it was allowed to fail, but it was, I was, 
I was gracefully walked through how I could pick myself up and, and, and finish what I had started that day. And then I didn't go to a concert for like three more years because I was scared because concerts equal failure in school. Um, so that's that. We use Chris Carson's favorite word. Pivot. <laughs> he just put it in Chris Carson, I want to get a hoodie made that says in a circle, it says pivot and then it's just crossed out. Like that's all I want to do. So look, gang, before we go, I just want you to know that, you know, I, I'm going to plug this event one more time because it's going to happen next week and then you're never going to hear me talk about it again. But we are doing this event next week called the Prioritize the You and Us event. It is on January 22nd on Saturday at 11 a.m. Um, I am going to go ahead and make us. I am going to just say that you will if you sign up for this and you can't see it live, you will be able to see it later. Even if I have to record it on my phone and then post it on YouTube or something like that to a private link, it will exist. So we're going to do it with my friends from HMH. Um, it's an hour and a half. And this is why. Because people are quitting teaching in staggering numbers. There's, you know, I saw a post today from someone that said, like, schools keep saying practice self-care, but it's the people that are giving, that are like, that's why you need so much self-care is because how schools are being run and how things are happening right now. Um, I just think that there are very small shifts you can make in your life in any given day that can have an enormous impact that can add to your joy. So when you wake up in the morning and you feel like from, from zero to 10, how are you feeling? Um, I think that there's ways to dial that number up before you get to school, while you're in school, when you come home from school that are going to help you to thrive in your school year and not just survive the school year. So I'd love as many people to be a part of this as possible because uh, and look, there's no kickback to me or anything like that either. It is simply because I just want people to have the greatest year. I know what it feels like to feel like you're failing, like you're just not being as great as you could be. And I just want to break it down on a level that helps me go a little deeper than we go here and in videos. That's why I love the workshops. It is Mr. Rogers' idea of simple and deep over wide and complex. It is here's 10 things or whatever that we're going to go over that are going to deeply impact your school life and help you feel like you are in a position of power and help you to walk into school that Monday feeling on fire. And that's, that is my whole goal with this. So it's next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, just uh, we'll put the link below and you can just click on the link, go there, sign up. It's completely free. Tell your friends, tell your school, tell your PLC, tell the, the kids in your college class uh, to come be a part of this because it's going to be undoubtedly something that will, will empower you. So that's it, gang. Um, we appreciate you and we will see you uh, next week, right? Yep. Peace.